Last one standing has to buy lunch for everybody, so look quickly. Uh, this is your new friend, Baruch. Everyone say hello. That's a Kentucky welcome. Our brother, Baruch Corman, and his lovely wife, Rivko, there you are. Would you stand up, please? I think they've been with us either seven or eight times, maybe. And we just appreciate them. Uh, Brother Baruch found uh, had an encounter with the Lord Jesus while he was on the track team at UK. I made a commitment to our Savior there. Do we have any UK fans? Okay, don't be ashamed. It's okay. And we're so grateful for him. He, for 30 years, has taught the scriptures, and the Lord uses him to teach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And he shared with some of us yesterday that his ministry that's online is going into like 25 different languages. And so the Lord is using him to spread the word of God. Brother, come up and let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you for your servants, the Cormans. We ask that you would strengthen them, that you would bless them, that our hearts would burn with the fire of the Holy Spirit today because of the power of the word of God. Now, Father, call us. Call us into service today. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Before we get started, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you, the Church of Our Savior, for your generosity, your commitment, and because you have a prophetic vision. You understand that God is faithful, and He will be faithful to that remnant of Israel in the last days. I understand that begins with your pastor and the leadership and the mission committee, but it's you that support them in being able to do what they do for us. So my sincere gratitude is, is being offered to you. Now, I want to begin by asking a question. I already know how this church would respond. The question is, has God abandoned the Jewish people? But if you ask many of the most famous and well-respected Christian scholars, they would have a different answer. For example, if you are studying God's Word and you go to the Internet and you want to reach a commentator about some passage, you might encounter a commentary by Matthew Henry. Now, he lived 500 years ago. And we're going to be studying a passage of Scripture called the parable of the vineyard workers. And what does he say in his commentary? That this parable reveals the sin of the Jewish people and the destruction of that nation. We go to another well-known Christian commentator. A man by the name of Albert Barnes, he wrote a commentary called Barnes Notes. Very well known today. And he would agree and say that this parable speaks about God breaking covenant with the Jewish people. 
And God doesn't break covenant. And what else do we know? Well, a third man, probably the best known of all of them, John Calvin. He says that this parable speaks about the stubbornness of the Jewish people. And the malice that they have to God. Which he says, there is no remedy. So, my next question to you. Are these illustrious commentators, are they correct? Is this what this parable speaks to? Well, let's explore it together. Take out your Bible and look with me to the Matthew's Gospel and chapter 21. The Gospel of Matthew and chapter 21. Now, as we begin, we see something. Look, if you would, to verse 33, where this parable begins. We read another parable. Now, he says another parable because in this 21st chapter, there's a parable in verse 18 of the fig tree. In verse 28 through 32, there's that parable of the two sons. And now, beginning in our passage, verse 33, there's another parable of the vineyard workers. And all of them have something in common. You see, this phrase, another parable. In the Greek language, there's two different words for another. The first word, the word that appears here, speaks of another in the same type. The same kind. And therefore, when we look at these parables, they all are addressing the kingdom of God. Not just that there is a kingdom, but the attitude that one should have in regard to the kingdom. The commitment that we should have for the kingdom of God. And how that commitment should manifest in our life. In the deeds, the things, the works that we do. So when it says another parable, it's another parable like the first two. And then he says, here. Now, that word for here just doesn't mean let it come into your mind, but that word implies you hear it with a desire to obey it. Let me say it a different way. We hear it in order to implement it into our life. And this parable is going to look at those individuals that they might know the truth, but they're not implementing the truth in their life. So let's pause for a moment and ask ourselves a question. We believe in the king. We believe in his kingdom. But are we truly implementing kingdom truth into our life? Do we have evidence to show our commitment to our Savior? Are we producing good fruit? Look at verse 33. It says here, another parable here. Pay attention. Implement. For there was a certain man, and this man was an owner of an estate. He was a rich man. He was a man of authority. He had resources and what did he do with his resources? How did he manage his wealth? Well, notice what he did. It says that this one planted 
a vineyard. Now, that word vineyard has some prophetic significance. As we read verse 33, you're going to see that there is a connection between this parable, what is said in this verse, and another passage from the Old Testament. And that is found in the book of Isaiah and chapter 5. Because there, there is a story of God planting a vineyard. And many of the same things that are said here about that vineyard also appear in Isaiah chapter 5. And it's clear from Isaiah that 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 vineyard is Israel. It relates to both the land and the people, the Jewish people. So it says here, he planted a vineyard and a fence he put around it. He dug a wine press and he built a tower. Now, what does that mean? He had done everything that was necessary in order to protect this vineyard, but also that this vineyard would be fruitful. We're going to see, and perhaps your Bible will translate certain words differently, but the word that appears over and over in this parable is the word fruit. And it's in the plural. God seeks abundant fruit from his people. That's true among the Jewish people, Israel, but it's also true for you, the church. God expects us. He is faithful. He will provide. He will do what's necessary so that we live a fruitful life. And he wants to receive your fruit. As we heard our fruit of praise, but also deeds. We all know we're not saved by good works, but good works are important to God. Read the book of Revelation. When he speaks to those seven churches, he says so frequently to them, I know your works. And the scripture says that he is coming soon to render to each one according to his works. Not saved by good works, but we will be rewarded in the kingdom based upon that good work, that fruit that we are called to produce. So he did everything that's necessary. And then keep reading. What else? He leased this vineyard to vineyard workers. Now, that implies an agreement. We could say it another way. That implies a contract. We might think of it in a different way, a covenant. So these vineyard workers had an agreement with the vineyard owner. And what was that about? Well, look at the end of verse 33. After entering into this agreement, he departed on a journey. Verse 34. But when the season of fruits. Now your Bible may say, when the harvest, doesn't say harvest. It literally says fruits. When the season of the fruits drew near, what did this one do? He sent his servants to the vineyard workers to receive his fruits. He wants what? 
he has coming to him. He wants a return upon his work, what he has done with this vineyard, making it, establishing it, providing for it. But notice the response. Look now to verse 35. And the vineyard workers, they took his servants, and some they beat, some they killed, and some they stoned. They violated the covenant. As we heard, God keeps covenant. The problem is that you and I oftentimes, oftentimes fail in being faithful to the covenant. But there's good news. There is a new covenant. You know what the difference is? See, if you look sometime at Jeremiah chapter 31, it says, My covenant, which they have broken, even though that I was a a husband unto them. And he says, this new covenant is different. Because God puts all the responsibility of keeping that covenant upon himself. And how does he keep that? Through forgiveness. He says that he will forgive all of our sins, all of our iniquity, all of our transgressions. And and I love this point. And he says, and our sins he will not remember anymore. Good news. Why? We can have assurance. We can have confidence. God is going to receive us into that kingdom because everything has been not only forgotten, but also, also absolutely forgiven. We can have confidence in what Messiah has done for us. And the response, the agreement is this. He's faithful, but are you? Are you producing that fruit? This group was not. And they were not interested, but drop down to verse 36. A very important word. The word, and some Bibles just ignore it, but the word literally is the word again. Now, this word speaks about God's mercy. God being long-suffering. God being patient. He should have simply punished, but he didn't. He is long-suffering, hoping, believing, trusting, providing the opportunity for us to change, for us to repent, for us to, and here's what repentance begins with, with us agreeing with God. Let me make you a promise. Nothing good is going to happen in your life until you agree with God. And you will never, ever, ever regret agreeing with Him. So why is it our nature that we're so defiant? Agree with God. And let me tell you a biblical principle. When when you approach His Word, when you approach God in prayer, saying to Him, God, whatever you reveal to me, I am going to do it. When you have that attitude sincerely, you're going to be amazed with what God reveals to you. How you can open up this book and God will speak, 
You will receive his guidance. You will receive his anointing if you're truly wanting to implement his purposes into your life. So it says, verse 36, and again, he sent other servants. It's that same word that we encountered in verse 33. It's of the same type, the same kind. They weren't different servants. The only thing that was different, keep reading. He sent other servants more than the first ones. But there was no difference in response. What does the text say? And they did to them likewise. Meaning some they hit, some they killed, some they stoned. But they had no intention of change. What about you? I can assure you because we're the same. And when I go sincerely before God, he shows me, he's consistent to show me areas in my life where I need to change. And in those rare occasions, when I ask God, what is displeasing to you? What is not right in your eyes that's in my life? In other words, what do I need to change? In those rare occasions that God is silent, I hear my wife's voice. She reveals, men, women are a helpmate. Listen, there is wisdom. God has supernaturally created a wife in order to be a help, and part of that help is counsel. And therefore, we need to be open to change. The problem here is that we're going to see a group. What group? All of Israel? I think not. There is a group who will not change. Now look at the text. What does he do? We're ready now for verse 37. It says, but later on, afterwards, he does something. The people would not change, so God, he did something differently. What did he do? And afterwards, he sent to them his son. Now, this is a parable. You know, we probably should talk for a moment about parables in general. You see, that word parable is the same word, we all know the book of Proverbs, in the Hebrew language, the same word for parable is proverb. And you may not know that, but that same word is where we get the Hebrew term for government. Now, what's the relationship? Well, a parable contains truth that should govern, let me say it a different way, that should rule your life. And the question that you're going to have to deal with today is as you leave this place, am I going to allow God's truth, His Word, not necessarily what you hear from me, but what you read in this book, are you going to submit and are you going to let it govern your life? I love what we sung a few minutes ago. What wisdom? Perfect submission, perfect what? Delight. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there's joy and delight 
in submitting to God. If you can't answer that enthusiastically, you are in the wrong place. You have made a false profession of faith. You are going to be those that Messiah will say, I never knew you. If you have been born again, you've been regenerated. You have a new nature. That new nature is going to want to agree with God. You're going to want the changes that He wants in your life. Don't be truly stubborn. Don't be defiant. But be humble and submit. Be obedient and do. Not for salvation, but because you have been saved by God's grace. Now, parables, they usually teach us some major points. But here's the danger. We have a parable and we think that we can extend everything in this parable. Keep going more and more with it. You can't. Parables are for a few major points. Let me give you an example. Look again at our text, verse, verse 37. He says, I will send my son, saying, they will honor him. Now, God knows all things. And in this parable, he says, they will honor my son. They didn't. All of this is saying is we can learn some general truth about God through this parable. But we can't take it too far. God knows all things in this parable. This, this landowner, this owner of the estate, he wasn't God. But certain things show us things about God. He says, my son, they will honor. Verse 38. But the vineyard workers, upon seeing. Now that word seeing means they had perception. They weren't mistaken. They understood who this one was that he sent the third time. It says, upon seeing the son, they said to themselves, this one, this word this is emphatic. It's emphasized in the text. This one is the heir. And recognizing him, what did they say? Come. We have killed him and we have taken the inheritance. Now, I realize in your Bible, it will say, let us. But it's in the past tense. Why? In the Greek language, sometimes the past tense is used to show that which is in totality. They knew totally what they were doing. They had a complete understanding. And the use of that tense shows motive. It shows intent with understanding. They knew what they were doing. They were rebellious. And what was their objective? To take control of the inheritance. They wanted to rule the vineyard and do it their way and not God's way. You know, we can fall into that same, same trap. That we want to take control of our life and we want to do the things and we want God to bless the things that we want him to bless. That is not spirituality. It might be popular, but it's not the faith of Scripture. Remember what we sung 
perfect submissive. Perfect submissiveness to whose plans? Your plans or God's? See, we waste so much time in prayer. Saying, God, please do this? No. Say, God, please reveal to me what you would have me to do. Be wise. Stop ordering God around. That's not prayer. That's not spirituality. Start asking God to reveal to you his plan for your life. I assure you something. Your dreams, what you think your destiny is, what you think that you've been put upon this world for, is wrong. God has something different. How do I know that? Does not the scripture say that that his ways are not whose ways? And his thoughts are not our thoughts? Do you believe that? See, left to myself, I always, always get it wrong. I will never just stumble into the revelation of God. It has to be revealed and it's revealed through his word and praying sincerely for his understanding of his word. Wanting to apply it to our life. These individuals, they didn't. Why? Notice what they said. Verse verse 38, verse 39. And taking him, actually, after taking him, that is, these vineyard workers took Yeshua, took the son. And what did they do? Well, see if your Bible agrees with, with what's literally here. It says that they cast him outside, outside the vineyard. Is that what your Bible says? Now, it might say they cast him outside, but, but it's written twice. They cast him outside, outside. They wanted nothing to do with him because they wanted their way. Now, I give them credit. They understood something that so many of the church do not understand. You cannot have it your way and have him part of your life just doesn't work that way when you accept him you are accepting his plans his purposes his will for your life that's what faith is but what did they do they wanted to cast him outside outside and kill him now it's interesting because we know something the bible tells us the measure that we measure with will be measured back Upon us. And when Messiah speaks about judgment. Don't you love judgment? Isn't that a good thing? Now prophetically judgment is good. Now we don't have to worry about condemnation. See when I talk about judgment. I'm talking about God moving to bring about his order. Let me say that differently. His will in his creation. Isn't that a good thing? And it will not happen without judgment. Don't, don't confuse the judgment of God with condemnation. If you are in Christ, Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We want judgment. Why? Judgment will bring about the order of God. It's only through judgment that the kingdom of God will be established. He's got to set things in order. And guess what? 
It's not your order. It's his order. And if we don't submit to that, we we are confused about what it means to truly be a follower of Messiah. A follower of Messiah. We call him a disciple, her a disciple. They want to learn and remember the Great Commission. See, many people are confused about that. Just share the gospel. No. It says, go and make disciples. Teaching them to obey. That's part of our heritage. That's part of our new reality, being born again. We become a new creation with the purpose of obeying. These people, we'll see who they are in a moment, weren't interested in obeying. And when you're not interested in obeying, the gospel is not for you. See, what motivated me to come to salvation in Lexington, Kentucky, is that I knew the evilness of sin. Let me ask you a question. What good, what joy, from a long-term perspective, what lasting joy has sin brought into your life? None. So when you accept Messiah, you turn away from sin. Isn't that what you want to do? Now, in and of ourselves, we're weak. That flesh clings to sin. But when we become that new creation, when we are regenerated, we're born again, we become different. We want to turn away from sin. We have his anointing to do it so that we can embrace his will. That's what our faith is about. And Messiah is here angry at those who don't want it his way. And what is he going to do? Well, several times in the gospel, we see that same verse, but he speaks. And he says, those who I do not know. Those who have rejected the gospel. He says, I'm going to cast them outside, outside, same terminology, identical. I'm going to cast them outside, outside. And there's three things what they're going to experience forever and ever. What is that? Darkness. What does darkness relate to in the Bible? Fear. When you say no to Christ, when you say the gospel is not interested in, not for me, you are choosing to have eternal fear. And it gets worse. Not just cast out into darkness, but also where there is weeping. Weeping relates to Sorrow, sadness. And the third thing, where there is that gnashing of teeth. What's that? Pain or torment. So let's just be real clear upon something. And I know this is true because I read it. You are either going to have for eternity the blessings of God, the promises of God, the joy that only comes from him. And you're going to have it forever or there's no place in between. There's no other answer. Or you're going to be cast out outside of his kingdom. Where you will experience eternal fear, eternal sorrow, and eternal torment. It's, it's that different. It's, it's black and white. It's good and evil. 
you make the decision. And now you can never say, I didn't know. You know. You make the choice. Is your name written in that Lamb's book of life? They cast him out outside and they killed him. Verse 40. Therefore, there's a response. Therefore, whenever the Lord of the vineyard. Now, notice the change. It's no longer that certain estate owner, but he's called the Lord. And this comes to us within the context of judgment. He says, therefore, whenever the Lord of the vineyard, he, this is God, he defines himself as related to the vineyard. The vineyard is, Isaiah 5, Israel. God will never separate himself from Israel. Now we're coming to the interesting part of this parable. The Lord of the vineyard, when he should come, what will he do? It says here, what will he do to those vineyard workers? Now Israel was full of vineyard workers. We're not talking about all vineyard workers. See, these vineyard workers were Jewish, but so were a lot others. And this parable only can be applied to those vineyard workers, not beyond that. And what was the response? Well, there were many people, including his disciples, that heard this parable. And they responded. They were saying, evil, evil ones. That's literally what it says. It's the same word in two different forms. Evil, evil ones. He will destroy them. And the vineyard, he will give to, and here's the third time we see that word, other. Remember? Two different words in Greek for other. Of the same type and a different type. This is the same type. When he says to other vineyard workers, they are the same type. This verse tells us he is not severing relationship. With the Jewish people. Now he may not be pleased. But he's not severing. He is the Lord of the vineyard. And he says. He is going to give that vineyard to other vineyard workers. Who. And this is what he's looking for. Who will give to him. The fruits. Always in the plural. In their seasons. Now we only think season. That's one time a year but not from a kingdom perspective. Remember Yeshua? Remember when he was going towards Jerusalem, coming from the Mount of Olives, and he sees, it's breakfast time, and he sees a fig tree. And he goes there expecting to find, the tree has leaves, he's expecting to find figs. And he finds none, and then the scripture says, it wasn't the season for figs, says who? That's, that's the world's perspective. But in the kingdom perspective, remember New Jerusalem? That tree of life, it gives fruit. How many months a year? Twelve. Always. With God, there's always fruitfulness. 
It's always the season. That's what God expects from his people. That we would be always fruitful. Now we're not talking about an expectation for salvation. We're talking about rewards. God's going to reward us based upon our fruitfulness. And it says here that he's looking for those who will give him the fruits in their season. Verse 42. Jesus says to them, have you not written or read in the scriptures? Interesting. He calls back the people to the word of God. That's what our our ministry is all about. Causing people, encouraging people to read the word of God. And he says, have you not read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders, that's the leaders. The stone which the builders have rejected. This one has become the chief corner. This is from the Lord. And it is wonderful in whose eyes? In ours eyes. You know what that means? If you are disciple, what God does, you believe, is wonderful. Isn't that true? Does God do anything that's not wonderful? And what he does is always in regard to his will. If you want to experience that which is marvelous, get in to God's will. And when you're in God's will, you know the evidence of that? There's going to be fruit. So he calls the people to the Psalms and says, you should realize there is going to be that one who is rejected by the leaders of Israel. Didn't say rejected by all of Israel or all the Jewish people, but the leadership, those builders. And then look at verse 43. On account of this, I say to you, That the kingdom of God will be removed from you and given to. And this is the verse that people like Calvin and Henry and Barnes go to. To say, here it is. The end of the Jewish nation. God severing that covenantal relationship. But here's the problem. If you understand the Torah, you're going to come away. With a very different opinion. Now we know something. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. The apostle Paul. Pretty good source. Paul unites. The the covenant of Messiah. Him being the seed of Abraham. Christ being the seed. He unites the new covenant. With the Abrahamic covenant. And that Abrahamic covenant. And the new covenant is all about blessing. And what we see here is this. In in Genesis chapter 12, where that covenant is found, God speaks to Abraham, and he says, if you'll trust me, if you'll rely upon me, if you depend upon me, I'm going to bring you out away from your nation, your family, your culture, And I'm going to take you to a land that I'm going to show you. And there, I'm going to make you into, and what's the terminology? A great nation. In Hebrew, goy gadol. And this term for a people or a nation 
is used in regard to Israel several times prophetically. In fact, any time in the prophets that God is pleased with Israel in a last days context, he uses this term. So it's not a replacing of the Jewish people. It's what God always said. I am going to make a people first of the Jewish people. Why? In order that they might be a blessing. And prophetically, we know something. If you read Zechariah chapter 8, and that last verse, verse 23, it says what's going to happen in the last days. Yes, Israel is going to go through a time of trouble, but out of it, there's going to be a remnant that are saved. And it says that the nations are going to look upon that remnant of Israel. And they're going to say, I've heard God is with you. And they're going to take that that fringe garment. And they're going to go with that Jewish man. Who? Ten men from every nation. It's a pretty pretty good number. Ten men from every nation is going to go with that, that last day remnant of Israel. To go into the kingdom. Why? God is going to keep his covenant promises. He is going to use Israel to be a blessing to the nations. He said it, and it's going to happen. God has not abandoned his promise to the Jewish people or the land of Israel. For the sake of time, drop down to verse 45. Who was he speaking to? It says, the chief priests and the Pharisees who heard His parables, they knew that concerning them, he was speaking. Not the whole Jewish nation, not all the Jewish people, but those, those leaders, these chief priests, these Pharisees who were in leadership, but were not leading based upon the word of God. And God removed them and he did. He removed them. And he turned over his work to apostles. By the way, at the beginning, all Jewish apostles. Why? God's faithful to his word. And then let's conclude with the last verse. After them knowing that he was speaking against them, against the chief priests and the Pharisees. Verse 46. And they were desiring. It's a word for a strong desire. They were seeking to grab him. But they didn't. Why? Because they were fearful of who? The crowds. It's in the plural. The crowds. Now, who were these crowds that held him to be? Read all of verse 46. That believed that he was a prophet. They were, were, were following him. They were moved by his teachings. Who were they? Well, where is this happening? Read the context. They're in Jerusalem. They're outside the temple. These crowds that held him to be a prophet, who were they? Jewish people as well. You cannot look at this parable and and rightly say, as these leaders said, Calvin, Henry, Barnes, 
that this parable is against the Jewish people. It is not. It's against all people that will not submit to the purposes of God. That try to act and behave according to fulfill their desires rather than the desires of God. So let me leave you with a question. What really is your faith based upon? That you believe that your Lord and Savior, that He has a plan for your life that you desperately want to carry out. One that you're totally committed to or are you wrestling with God, trying to get Him to do what you want and fulfill your desires, which isn't faithfulness. It is a Christianized form of idolatry. God wants to do change in my life. And my impression is that there's things that God wants to change in your life. The question is, are you ready for that change? Do you want to see things from his perspective? He'll take you on a marvelous journey. But you need to submit. Perfect submission. Perfect delight. Wisdom. Are you going to receive it? Father God, we praise you. That you are a God of perfection. And we see that in your prophetic purposes. In your plans. In your promises. God, we exalt you. And we thank you for the submissiveness of our Lord and Savior who denied himself, going to that cross, laying down his life so that we might have kingdom life, abundant life, now and forevermore. For it's in his name and in order to glorify our Lord and Savior that we pray. Amen. We hope you all were able to pick up the Lord's table as you came in. These days are the most exciting days that you and I live in. Last month was the 75th anniversary of the rebirth of Israel, going right back to the chapter we just studied that God keeps his promises to his people and to you. We live in these days. For we take the Lord's table for you people that love Jesus and are walking with him. Are you in agreement with him today? Are you out of agreement? Are you paying attention or, and are you surrendered? And for those that maybe don't know if you're his family yet, you've given your heart to Christ, you've surrendered everything, Jesus is your Savior. It's time to do business with the Lord. We're going to take the Lord's table, but this is for his family. And we always offer the opportunity, if you're not sure his family yet, it's a decision to give him your life. So if you're here today and you're not sure, before we take the Lord's table together, close your eyes and bow your head.
you'd like to surrender your life to Jesus, give your heart to him, be forgiven of every sin. Maybe you're watching online or you're in the room with us now. Right where you sit, you can pray and say, Lord Jesus, I'm tired of running from you. I need my life lined up in an agreement. So today I give you my life. Forgive me of every sin. Wash me clean. Give me a home in heaven and make me your child today. And if you just prayed that prayer, hold your hand up right now. Hold your hand up if you just prayed that prayer. Wonderful. Anyone else, hold your hand up if you just prayed that prayer. Awesome. Awesome. And for all of us that are walking with the Lord, communion is a time to search your heart. Am I in agreement? Am I walking with him? Am I doing what he's asked me to do? So if you'd open the end and let's put the bread in her hand. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us so we could find healing and restoration and a new life. We celebrate and we recommit our lives to you today in Jesus' name. Take and eat. And likewise, hold it up, please. The cup of the covenant, the new covenant, his blood shed for us the most precious element ever that we could be completely forgiven of our sins. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness found in the blood of Christ. Take and drink. As we worship today, the altar is open. There's people that will pray with you. Respond to however the Lord speaks to you. was going to tell you to stand. (laughs) If you could stand as you're able, we're going to just enter into a time of worship. Feel free um, to come up and kneel down um, if that's a way that you connect with the Lord or just make your chair your altar. And we're just going to engage the Lord in worship.
to walk with the Lord today. Talk with one of these folks at the altar team before you leave. Father, we just thank you for your covenant-keeping heart to all your people and to Israel. We thank you for them today. Help us to be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Have a great day. There's people to pray with you. Pick up your children. God bless you. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the very first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take the next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can get connected with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can be praying for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.